Praise the Lord. You know, after 17 years, you still welcome me like a guest. I love that. Um, we leave a week from tomorrow, and uh, it's going to be our first Christmas in Kenya. And during the, this presentation, which um, I can have the first slide, start there. And during this presentation, we'll be telling you all the events and things that are going to be <coughs> excuse me, happening in Kenya. And a lot, this is going to be a very different trip for us, not because of, only because of Christmas, but because of some of the things that will be happening in Kenya and, uh, and also in Tanzania. And then we'll be coming back January 9th. And uh, one of my goals, one of the things that I really want to do on the fun side is when we're in Mombasa, I want to swim in the Indian Ocean. You know, turquoise aqua sea with palm branches and white beaches. It's not the Africa you think on the coast. So I would love to do that while you're shoveling snow. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. What is that? Giraffe. That's right. They get about 17 feet tall. But I bet you didn't know this, that there are two kinds of giraffe in Africa. And they're noticed by their spots, and they're, I, I didn't, uh, some have like uh, blocks, and some have like circles and different lines. So there's two different kinds of, of uh, giraffe. I've always wondered how they knew which one to get together with, you know, to, to keep the lines straight and keep the... They get up to about 17 feet tall. And when we saw this guy, uh, Tom Owens thought it was so exciting to go get a picture of him, so he got out of the car, and this guy ran behind that bush and hid. <laughs> and uh, so, um, on the next slide... This is uh, Overseer Moses Gatua, and he's about 75 years old and walks about 10 miles a day. Um, he's done that all his life. Uh, cars and transportation, is, uh, although he, he's had cars and transportation the last few years, really the gas price is up to 5 $6 a gallon when you're making uh, $100 a month. Is not too practical to fill it up, you know. And so they're limited in their driving. But <clears throat> one of the things that we're going to do, I'll outline for you the basic trip. We're going to leave a week from tomorrow on the 15th. We'll get there on the 16th. And on the 17th, we go to our district in Kiranyaga, two hours north of Nairobi. And in our district, we'll be doing a pastor's conference interviewing all the pastors and their wives and elders, and uh, we'll be doing some teaching, and then we'll be doing the retirement for um, Pastor Overseer Moses. It's going to be a retirement celebration. There's going to be about 300 people there, and uh, we're helping provide refreshments for 300-plus people and a big celebration for his retirement. It's going to be really exciting. But I want to read to you the report that he's going to read on that day to all, all the 300 guests. He sent me a copy and recently, and we got that. If you'd like a copy of this, uh, they're out in the foyer. You just pick one up on the way out. But um, Moses has been our overseer, well, uh, the whole time I've been there, uh, 10 years. This is from his words. Report of Overseer Pastor Moses Gatua Kambunja in his retiring day. Preliminaries. I wish to thank God sincerely for his unfailing grace and mercy to me in this thus far 
and making of all, most of making of all of me reaching this long-awaited day of my retirement. And I must uh, remind you that we speak American English, the British speak British English, Kenyans speak Kenyan English, and so this is written in Kenyan English. Before I proceed further, I feel honored as I see all of you gathered here to get today in my home compound. I do acknowledge the presence of Dr. Reverend Mike Erickson and his wife, plus all the entourage, administration official, the district official, Gichugu location chief, Karimi assistant chief, who are present. Christians of all churches and denominations, family near and far, God sincerely bless you. You visit to the, your visit to the to this home is sure proof that you have loved me and sincerely appreciate the work done to the Lord. Preparation to the ministry. I came to know the Lord as my personal Savior in the years of a man of God, now long departed, called Samuel Kathenge who also nurtured me up. Uh, Pastor Samuel is legendary in our district. He died at about 103 and uh, was serving the Lord, ministering, pastoring, and overseeing to the day of his death. So he is quite a legend there in Karanyaga. Pastoral ministry. I was ordained as a pastor in 1974 and thereafter opened five churches between the years of 1980 to 1990. These churches are lo- located in the following markets. Kathari, Riakithiga, Kianganye, and Kiramunge, and Kiramandi. By this time, I was operating from Kiangombe Market, which is near my home. As fruits of the work done during those years, God enabled me to raise these notable pastors. Pastor Joseph Mariki, Kathari Branch. Pastor Gerald Musiri Mugambi from Kimbimbi. And Pastor Mariuki from Kurumaj. And Pastor Maria Gutu. Most of these pastors are still with us in our district. In 1995, I was ordained to be overseer of Karen Yaga under the Harvest Christian Church. The leading minister in this occasion was Reverend Leonard Fox together with the National Board of Harvest Christian Church. These districts were the ones I was to oversee. Embu, Marlal, Karanyaga, Chuka, and Matutu. Here is the breakdown of the achievements that we have had in Karen Yaga. We have currently 13 branches church branches, which are as follows. I've been telling you we have 30, 35 churches, but Marlel has had eight. Uh, Karen Yaga's always had about 13 to 18. Uh, Chuka has had one or two. But he's been overseeing approximately 30, 35 churches pretty much the whole time he's been overseer for us. But in Karanyaga, right now, uh, we have 13 churches. Kingombe, Kimbimbi, Karagoya, Kathari, Kamina, Baricho, Kamungi, Muthiki, Kambubu, Riathiga, Kimichi, and Kingingi, and Kavoti. And if you want to correct me, you're welcome to come up. No. Other districts in Embu, in Embu, we have two branches in Jiri and Mikundu. In Chuka, we currently have one branch called Kiricha. In Marlal, among the Wasumbu, we have two branches. I helped with the work from Matu'u from 2004 to 2007 when I gave out the work to overseer Joseph Wahomi. Special appreciation. In this work of the ministry, I feel indebted to various persons with whom, without them, would not have achieved very much. First, I'm indebted to God 
whose will is that we do according to his will, as noted by Apostle Paul. Secondly, I wish to give much thanks to Reverend Mike Erickson and his wife, plus our friends in America, some of whom we've never met, for your continual love, support, morally and financially. It's only God who can pay you back for the work that you've done here in Karanyaga, Kenya. Through your financial support, we have been able to buy numerous church plots, music and public address systems for churches, and other essential ministry tools. The vision of the Bible school we have in Karagoya today has been realized because of your dear support. It is my prayer that this support shall continue even after I retire. And uh, it's kind of a blessing for me to know that they named this little school Erickson University. (laughs) 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 It's one of those things, you know. Colleague ministers in the church headquarters and church leadership with whom we served God, God bless you very much. Pastors who have served under me for the duration of time in Karanyaga, Embu, and Marlal, you have helped me serve God with no stress. My wife Patricia Komori, for her only, for only her, would tell what we have gone through in the work of ministry. We went up and down the mountains in the ministry, and you were a great encouragement. I say to you also, thank you very much, dear. Last and not least, I would like to say thank you, all believers, family members, and friends for your support, even though I can't recall each specific case, but I'm sure that God know, knows and will reward each one of you specially. Thank you to you all. Amen. Your overseer, Moses Katua. Next slide. This is Moses and Patricia. And maybe it'll help if I... Does that help? Okay. Moses and Patricia. Uh, Patricia is so proud of Trish, she calls Trish her, her namesake. And, uh, and Patricia uh, doesn't speak a word of English and uh, doesn't speak a word of Swahili. She speaks her mother tongue and uh, when she sees Trish, all she does is laugh and hug and they laugh and hug together and, and smile and laugh and hug and they have a great relationship and communication that way. And uh, Patricia just loves us. When we, when we took her to Marlal two years ago and she saw a, an elephant for the first time in her life. And... Uh, you know, as you think that, you know, everybody's got these things in their backyard and they travel. Most people don't travel very far from their own home. And um, to go and see something like that was, was really special for her. Okay, this is going to be our new overseer. His name is Helam. Helam, I uh, first met Helam in 1998. He was a young man, he still is, younger man. And there was about five people in the church, no pastor, and he was just by necessity the elder of this little church. Since then, he wanted to go into ministry, so he virtually left his family full-time and went to Bible college full-time for three years visiting at home, much like a military style, I think, you know, visiting home um, on breaks and Christmas and Thanksgiving and whatever, but he he gave it all up with uh, his wife Cicely uh, in full agreement and graduated with honors from Bible College. And when he graduated, we planted 
a church with him in uh, in Caragoya, our flagship town, and he's got the flagship church. And he's got about 50, 75, maybe 100 people in his church, but the average age of the church is probably about 12 or 13. I mean, it's a kids, young people everywhere. And uh, so the last two years... Uh, he has been the assistant overseer with Moses, knowing that Moses would retire and, and uh, Helam would come on. And so this is Sicily, his wife, in next frame. And this is their baby, Mike Erickson. Yeah. His name is Mike Erickson Karimi Matira. And, and he is really incredible. <laughs> this is our firstborn. He's four years old, and his name is Cephas Mike. And when we were taking the picture of the pastor's wife holding this new baby, uh, Bishop Abel says they named the baby after the Apostle Paul and you, the Apostle Peter, excuse me, Cephas, the Apostle Peter and you. And he said, Really? And Trish says, no. I said, really? Yes, they named the baby after you. And we were so excited. And uh, he's now four years old. Um, this is Trish. Yeah. And isn't Trish beautiful? Trish is about three years old. And uh, absolutely terrified of white people. <laughs> Absolutely terrified. You think it was Night of the Living Dead or something? I mean, it's scary for her. You know, just like, you know. And uh, but this church has actually saved this little girl's life. For the first two years, she was malnourished, couldn't walk, couldn't talk. Um, we had to have her in hospitals uh, constantly for an entire year. And several in the body here supported her, her, her and her family to get her the treatment she, she needed it, or else we wouldn't have her here today. And so and thank you as a body for her life. And uh, isn't she beautiful? So the, last year she was more friendly to us, and Trish asked Emma, her mom, who is two days different from my daughter Rachel in age, and says, how did you do that? She says, well, I told her that the white people will give you sweets. <laughs> so we had to come through. And the next slide. This is Mike Abel. Mike Abel is two years old. And uh, he is named after me and Bishop Abel. And uh, uh, his, his mother, Rosalind, when she was carrying him, said, if he's a boy, I'm going to name him after you and Bishop Abel, who was with me at the time. We were so honored by that. Um, I've got the bishop beat, though. I've got three namesakes. He has two. <laughs> Okay, the next slide. This is Mike Erickson as a pretty new baby. Isn't he cute? So, last year Moses told me, he says that, uh, he says, uh, for generations to come, they'll be naming their children after you. And I was so blessed and honored by that to leave that type of legacy and impact. It's really, really wonderful. These are our four kids. Uh, Cephas, Mike, Trish, Mike Abel, and Mike Erickson. So. Uh, Cephas, Cephas, Mike, and Trish are friends. And they love being together and playing together. Okay. Children are a big deal in Kenya. You know, not only... Uh, our children and namesakes, but 50% of the country is under the age of 15. 50%. Um, 
A lot of the kids are uh, homeless or without the original parents because uh, AIDS and related diseases have are killing off the population. They say if it continues at the rate it's going now, by 2070 there won't be any Kenyans left. And uh, we've got uh, children by the thousands everywhere we go. And we minister to the children. We do our best to uh, serve and minister when we're there to children and their needs. This is, uh, you can see, uh, some among the Samburu people where we ministered to. This boy is quite skinny. And, um, you know, when I come back, I, th- I look at our children, I look at our adults, I look at things, I think of the things that we complain about, and I think, and so in my mind comes these images, and I think, man, we are spoiled, you know. We are, we take things for granted, such as, uh, Everyone in the country, everywhere, does not have drinking water, per se. Uh, so that they have to boil their water. And I know in some remote areas they drink the water anyway. But then there's a high, a high level of typhoid. They have milk from the cows, straight from the cows, with a high level of cholera. And then there's malaria that comes with the... Uh, the mosquitoes and all sorts of things, and these are taking, taking populations out. And, uh, but when you, you know, we, we say, well, has it been boiled? And sometimes we don't even trust that because you've got to boil it 15, 20 minutes. So we say, if it's got a lid on it, we'll drink it, you know. And, but most of the chais and teas, we know that our friends uh, uh, boil it properly and make sure... But um, when we, they come to America, they understand that, you mean to tell me you can drink water from the tap? Yeah. And when you flush the toilet, you're flushing with drinking water? That's inconceivable. You know, that we would waste water to flush toilets. We would waste the purest water in the world to flush our toilets with. I don't mean to lay a heavy on you. I mean to lay a heavy on you. No. Yeah, I mean, this is... So we're going to minister to these type of things. The next one. More of the children. The reason that there's the ba- children and babies and things have shaved heads is because of a high concentration of lice and different types of diseases. They, they don't get to to have a shower or a bath like you do. Maybe it's might, might be some for someone once a week or maybe longer. Who knows? And so they keep the hair real short to prevent some of those things. Now, ear piercing, we have nothing over the Kenyans. Okay, look at that. Those are real earrings. And uh, so... Okay, that's by some brewer people. This is where last year we were speaking in the north of Kenya among the Samburu people. And this is a place that the gospel was just brought a first, first time ever in, the, in a few months before. And when we were preaching and speaking, we were having one of the largest open-air meetings in, the, in that area bringing people to Christ, getting them to know Christ. And here's an altar call by which they're coming to receive the Lord and pray and, and uh, give their lives to the Lord. Now this is a cow dung hut made, made by Samburu women. And it's the doorway is it's you know I, I'm like this so that's the doorway, and inside it's probably about seven foot tall. And uh, the women make these while the men count children and cows because that's what they do. 
and but they don't do pretty much anything else. The women do everything else. And uh, then when it's all dried, it's about this thick, and uh, there's no smell to it. As a matter of fact, it's very light, very insulating, and very much a home for them. And when they move to another area, they simply set it on fire and burn it and make another one uh, in another area. It takes a lot of cow stuff to make one of those. <laughs> And fresh cow stuff. Yeah. So, that's the present. Uh, let me share with you what we're going to be doing if I have not done that. Did I share with you the schedule? Yes, you did. I did. Okay, I'm going to go over it again. Uh, we'll get there on the 16th. On the 17th, we'll go to our district. And probably on the 20th, First, we're going to have the installation of over new overseer uh, Helam. And for this, we're going to be literally participating, helping f feed about two, three hundred people. Church is all together, together, pastors, huge ordination service for his installation as overseer. Then on the 23rd, we're going to have the retirement reception and a huge thing for Moses on his retirement day. On the 24th, we fly, we drive back to Nairobi and celebrate Christmas on the... Am I right? Close. close. Good. Okay, well, I'm close. On the 25th, we'll have Christmas morning at the uh, college campus church, and I'll be preaching there. And then we'll be having a Christmas goat... We'll be killing a Christmas goat and uh, eat, roasting it. And everybody's going to bring other foods and things like that. And that'll be a feast and that'll be Christmas Day. After that, we leave for Mombasa on the 26th or 27th. And on the 28th, on the coast of Mombasa, I'm preaching at a large church in, in Mombasa. And then after that, we're going to spend a few days there and New Year's. And then we go to... Tanzania. And in Tanzania on January 4th I'm preaching and teaching at the Bible College and ministering there. Go back to Nairobi and fly out at on the 8th and arrive home on the 9th. Close enough? Okay. The little details, you know, are kind of hard to keep together. So that's a presentation for Kenya. and continue to do for Kenya for the last 10 years. Um, the things that you have done in Kenya have made a tremendous, tremendous difference. Uh, lives are being changed and will, that will continue to happen for years to come. The uh, message I have for you is two, twofold, I uh, meaning two, two titles to it actually. Introduction to Truth Project Number Nine. First, first uh, title. Second title is that He is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So let's pray, Father. I pray that this message will stir our hearts to the Truth Project this week and to building a strong biblical worldview. We ask that you would touch us today as we endeavor to seek you in the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. I have uh, a couple of faults I'm going to tell you about right now. One is that I, I tend to give a lot of information in a little space of time. And it's hard to keep up. And I know some are going to the first scripture I talked about, and I'm on the fourth one. And, uh, and, and also... I'm telling stories or referring to scriptures, assuming that you know the stories, but we're in a time and day and in a place where not everybody knows the stories of the scripture, and not everybody knows the uh, points of the Word of God. So I'm going to try to slow my train down a little bit. Last night I was a speeding train, 
And uh, very few got on and a lot got off. So um, let me give you some of, the, some of the word is Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. And you write these down and follow me here a little bit. Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, Revelation 1.5, the first man, firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the earth. The ruler of all the kings of the earth. There's no exception. There's no exception, evil or good, there's no exception who is in control. We heard Pastor Joe speak of uh, Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 that, that God directs the affairs of a king like a, he would uh, uh, a river and uh, the boundaries of a river and how water flows is how God directs the affairs of the king. No matter what the king does, God can accomplish and will accomplish his sovereign purpose for this planet through that. If you're worried about our next president, don't worry. If you're worried about our past president, don't worry. Because primarily this is not your kingdom. You have a greater king who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and Sovereign over all. Revelation 17.14 says, These will make war with the Lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's Revelation seventeen fourteen. And going over to nineteen verse sixteen of the same book. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's on him. It's written on him. Who he is, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who's your King? Jesus. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when when I think about, you know, uh, our nation, our wonderful nation, we are Americans. We have a president, but our first allegiance is to our King of Kings and the kingdom of God. And I'm going to make that difference today and actually drive that point home because I believe that the Truth Project, number nine this week, that you're going to see in your cell groups, really is going to speak to God in the state, God in the society. And I'm going to prepare your hearts a little bit for that by giving you some introduction and some thoughts that will help you understand that. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 37, I'll tell you the story. King Nebuchadnezzar saw, uh, had a dream and uh, searched for an interpreter for the dream. And Daniel was called to interpret the dream. And it was a body that had a head of gold and had arms and shoulders of silver and had a main body torso of brass, and then legs of iron, and then feet of, of clay and iron. And he saw this tremendous figure. And he was troubled by it, and Daniel said the next verse about the gold head, which is representative of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He says, You, O king, are a king of kings. For the, the God in heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. What's that really saying? You're an earthly king, you're king of kings, you're world empire. But that's because God, who is the king of all the earth, all the power, all the strength, all the glory, has given you this kingdom. Revelation 11.15 says this, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. 
Amen? Okay, so we've got established, we established it really clearly that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord of all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus said in John 18.36, My kingdom is not of this world. You know, in this world we have nations by political boundaries. But there are cultural nations that do not recognize political boundaries. I'll give you an example. The Maasai people of East Africa, Somalia, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, down to Tanzania, down to Zimbabwe, and so on, uh, roam the, all of East Africa, and they believe that they own the country. They own the... They, We'll go through checkpoints, we'll go through a little town, and, and we'll go through passports, and we'll spend a couple hours in passport stamp, and pay the fees, and this and that, and go to the next session, section, and go through the country. But a few miles to the side, my side, I don't care, just walk across over to Tanzania, back over to Kenya, over to Uganda. So what's the Maasai nation? It's not Kenya. It's the people group of related by blood, related by tribe, related by heritage, who happen to live in that area. Now think of us as the kingdom of God. We're related by the blood of Jesus. We're brothers and sisters of Christ. That blood is made of citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we roam this earth as pilgrims and foreigners and strangers in this world. And we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Besides that, I'm also, secondarily, a citizen of the United States of America. But it's not my primary country. Because if I, when I, whatever country I go to, I will be primarily a citizen of the kingdom of God. And guess what? We have a huge population. Almost a couple billion. Largest, largest kingdom and nation on the planet that goes into the, all, every continent and most of the countries of the world. And it's our goal to have it in every country of the world, every ethnos, every nation, every language, tribe, tongue, people group on the planet so that the kingdom of God is the greatest force on the planet, not the United States of America, although I appreciate this country. You know where I'm going, right? Amen? You with me? I want to take you through uh, a glance at Daniel and tell, talk to you a bit about what Daniel said about the kingdom of God. Beginning in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. Book of Daniel's after the book of Ezekiel. And, uh, you know, if you go to Psalms, keep on making it right, you get the major prophets and, and get to the Daniel. If you go to Matthew, you've gone too far. So, uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 and 45. In the time of those kings, we talked about those four, those empires, the gold, the Babylonian, the Media Persian, the silver, the uh, the Greek Empire after that, and the Roman Empire after that. It says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another. It will crush all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. Not a human institution. Not made by, by man. Made by God. Made by God through the blood of Jesus. How do we gain citizenship into this kingdom? Through the qualification of the blood of Jesus who makes us a citizen in his kingdom. 
And that kingdom will crush every other kingdom on earth. And when Jesus comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, He will set up a millennial kingdom to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. And that will be it. All the world will know who the sovereign is. And right, right now we look and wait for that day. We're, you know, we're kind of a, a, a kingdom that's not, not, uh, not designed for military, not designed for a lot of things, but an enduring kingdom on principles that far superseded anything Rome could do, anything a Caesar could do. In chapter 4, verse 3, chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. Matter of fact, chapter 4 is written by Nebuchadnezzar as a letter and a testimony to the peoples of the earth of what happened to him. It says in this, And King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, world empire, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God had performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. Well, I'll explain you the story for the rest of the chapter. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in his dream, he was terrified. And uh, he, he summoned all the astrologers and, and diviners and everybody. And, and he says they could not interpret the dream for him. Finally, he called in Daniel to, and told him the dream. And Daniel interpreted the dream and what he saw he saw, saw a huge tree and branches and everybody lived in the, you know was fed off the branches and the, and gave shade and gave prosperity and then finally the uh, tree was cut down and they cut down the tree and put a uh, an iron and bronze shackle around the, the stump of the tree. And um, that was it. And Daniel interpreted the dream and said, You're the tree, O great king. And God is going to cut you down. And you're going to be enslaved and shackled. And you're going to be like a wild guy, insane. And uh, when you come to your senses, when your sanity is restored, then you know that there's a God in heaven. Well, a year later, Daniel's looking over his kingdom, his palace. You know, the Babylonian gardens are famous and and uh, the most sophisticated palace and things of his time, he looks over and says, I am so good. This is so wonderful. I am, this is great. This, look at all my glory is produced and all this. And then immediately insanity came in. And he went around eating grass, growing long hair, being like an animal, and without being camped at all or just crazy for seven years. And at the end of the story, it says, this is his testimony. It says in verse 34, <clears throat> At the end of that time, after seven years, feathers like an eagle, nails like claws of a bird, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. You know, if you're having any problems with your sanity, get your eyes on Jesus. You know? Um, 
what can I say to that? Should I comment on that again? If you're having a problem with your sanity, lift up your eyes to heaven and get your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Feel like you're going crazy? That's the route to take. Nebuchadnezzar did and it turned out good. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold Him back, back His hand, or say to Him, What have you done? You know, I tell you what, God is an amazing sovereign God. And uh, it gives me great comfort for the times that we're in to know that I have a sovereign King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Chapter 6, verse 26. Daniel in the lion's den. Well, here's maybe a story you, you, uh, that some of you have not heard. Most of us are really familiar with that. Daniel was upright and a man of integrity and did everything according to uh, the law and was faultless. But he had enemies. And the enemies watched his lifestyle, knew that he prayed to his God three times a day, and he honored his God. So they said, well, let's devise a law that will make it illegal for 30 days for anyone to pray to any God except for the king. You know, when the state starts replacing, when state starts replacing God, with the importance of the state, things are going to get really messed up. One of the things you'll hear in the in the Truth Project number nine is that is that America is trying really hard in its society to usher God out and to make the state their God. And what happens is that if God becomes a state, God is a big disappointment being the state. Because the state can't be everything that God is to the people of God. And people actually know that. But the people in society don't want God to be sovereign. They want Obama to do his job and the Senate and the Congress to meet my needs and the military and everything to do what they're supposed to do and take care of me. I'm supposed to be secure. Everything I need is Provided by the state. That's where our society is trying to go. In 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution, what and, and, uh, and uh, Stalin wanted to make an atheist state so that the state became God, all authority. You know, God brought that kingdom down with a crashing blow in only 70 years. You know, in the mind of God, that's like a nanosecond. That's just like, here and gone. 70 years is, is nothing. You have a, a lot of the um, parts of the USSR, highly Islamic. A lot of it were Russian Orthodox Christians, Another, a lot of them Jews, a lot of them... And for 70 years, you could not speak of any type of God, let alone the God of Christ or Christianity, for fear of persecution, punishment, and, and the like. What happened after 70 years? The hearts of people all over the country are so hungry for God that the evangelical Christians and cults and even Islam and everybody, everybody that brought a religion into in the ex-Soviet Union, people welcomed it because they, want, they knew that God had to be in their society. 
And now there's some more freedoms in Ukraine where I've been and the former Soviet Union than you'll find in our high school in our community center even in our, in our town you have more freedoms there because society says we want God we know what it's like to be without him we want God in our society and this society says we no longer want God in our society we want to try it without him well you've never seen oppression until you see God removed from our society okay I was some here, somewhere with that. Oh, Daniel's in the lion's den. So they made a law and said Daniel could not pray. So what does Daniel do? Is he obeying the law? No. Civil disobedience. He goes and opens up his window as every, every other time. He prays three times a day. And he's waiting for the reprisal. And the reprisal comes and says, You're in the lion's den. And God delivered him in the lion's den. You know, I remember of the scripture in Acts where Peter where Peter and John were rebuked and threatened with imprisonment. In Acts four nineteen they said, Judge for yourselves whether it is right for us to in God's sight, to obey you rather than God. Well, Daniel felt the same way. Is it right for us to be, obey you rather than obeying God? So Daniel went through the lion's den because he trusted in his God. God delivered him. In verse 26 it says, The king Darius now issues a new decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Wouldn't that be nice to have that in the Constitution? But whether it is or not, it is our Constitution. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. You can take that figuratively even. You know, he's going to rescue you from the power of the lions. So I really believe that, and I shared this last night, I share this all the time. And it's, uh, so often you, you probably heard it from me several times, but the darkness has always been dark on this side, radical, dark, and in the middle, there's been huge gray for America. And then on the left side, there's been radical light. Christians on fire for God, excited about God. But now, evil is going to get greater and more evil. And the righteous and the church is going to get more on fire. And the gray is going to get narrower and people are going to have to decide, either get in the kingdom of God or get in the kingdom of this world. Stop riding fences. And it's going to, going to be very, very clear that we can't live in the gray anymore. And it's not, not going to be our choice. It's going to be, come to a fork in the road, okay, righteousness or the kingdom of the darkness. Kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness? You must choose. And society is going to make you choose. Because Jesus said, that because they hated me, they will hate you also. And uh, if you live like Christ wants you to live, they'll persecute you, they'll hate you, they'll say all manner of evil against you, just like they did of him. Jesus warned us that when dark times come, that is what's going to happen. In Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming in the cloud of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. 
This is Jesus. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In society, in our society right now, I want you to realize that that first of all, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And that might not make us the best like people in society. We are also the salt and light in this earth. Salt and light make a difference. Light dispels darkness. Salt gives flavor and makes a difference. We're here to make a difference in our society. A godless society will hate us. And I said this before, but if you're looking through First John and through the Gospel of John, you'll find that theme. And in a godless society, the philosophies and practices of the majority become the moral standard. In a godless society the philosophies and practices of the majority become the moral standard. And everybody will expect you to line up with the majority. In the lowest point in Israel's history, in, in my opinion, there's other scholars in th that have different opinions as to where Israel's lowest point was in their relationship with God. But I believe that during the period of Judges chapter 17 through 21 was the lowest point in Israel's history in relationship to their God. They had forsaken the law, they had forsaken the Torah, they had forsaken sacrificing to God, they had uh, worshipped the Baals and, and Asherahs, and it was, it was a terrible time during the time of these judges. And in chapter 17, verse 6, and also the last verse of the, of the book, in chapter 21, verse 25, you find these chapters very dark, hard to understand, how a man can have his, let his woman be raped by the town until she dies, and, and uh, somehow... Yeah, I, I read those chapters, I say, those are crazy chapters, crazy times. I don't expect me to understand all them. Know that the level of depravity in those chapters are very deep. But that phrase that comes out in the, in the opening of the chapters, and the last verse of the chapters is this, everyone did as he saw fit. Everyone did as he saw fit. And the second phrase that you'll find in that, maybe mentioned three times, in those days there was no king. Now what Samuel say when, when they wanted a, new, a king that they rejected God as king? Well, in, actually in chapter 17 of Judges through 21, they in fact have already rejected God as king, and they rejected man as king. They had no king. In those days, they actually had nothing. It was the darkest day in Israel as far as I'm concerned. And they said they were not submitted to the sovereignty of the Lord God, their king, who ruled in the time of the judges, and they did as they saw fit. I'll tell you, that's where America's trying to go. Everybody do what, how they see fit, and there's no sovereign king. And we'll certainly make our voice known and make sure our president do, does what we as society sees fit. A lot of it's not going to be good. Be sure you see number nine this week. It's really good. Let's stand.
Father God, thank you so much for this church, this body, Lord, that uh, you've assembled here today. Cause us to be greater salt and light in this society. and Help us to be realize you're King of kings and Lord of lords, and we are your servants, your subjects, your citizens of a great kingdom. We give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord.